Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Parker and talk about house hacking and couch flipping. A little bit of both. It really depends. Um, yeah, that's why I bought the truck I own. Um, because when I when we moved here, I bought the truck for thirty five hundred dollars. Put some money into it. It's probably worth five grand now. Um, so you know, when we were renting a house, we would just buy a couch, stage it, maybe clean it up, relist it, offer delivery on the couch. Um, I think between September 2021 and May 2022, we made $36,000. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my can definitely bench press at least 10 pounds more than me, co-host Scott Trench. Maybe, but no one can lift our listeners' spirits like Mindy Jensen. Aw, Scott, that's so sweet. You're going to make me cry. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, take a break for a year and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I'm excited to talk to Parker today because he has a kind of fun set of circumstances and also a really amazing side hustle that we don't get into until the very last minute, where you will find me a little bit shocked at how much he can make. Yeah. Parker's crushing it, has a lot of good options. Um, and, uh, you know, just needs to kind of focus in on a couple of key areas and make some, some allocation decisions. He can do anything, but he can't do everything. Ooh, taking a page from our friend Paula Pant. Mm -hmm. All right. Before we bring in Parker, I must tell you that the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Before we bring in Parker, let's take a quick break. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. 
But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. And we're back. Quick note, if you're interested in being a guest on the Finance Friday and having Scott and me review your financial situation to see what we would do if we were in your circumstances, please apply at biggerpockets.com slash finance review. All right. Today's guest is Parker. He is 26 years old. He has a rental property that he co-owns with a friend, and he's busy fixing up the rental and would like to take a year off in the next few years to travel. Parker, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. Pumped to be here. Love the podcast. Uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, let's do it. Let's jump right on in. We have a salary of approximately $4,200 a month after taxes and 401k contributions with additional income of $475 a month from a tenant and two to $400 a month from side hustles. We're going to jump into those in a minute. Your debts total 400, I'm sorry, $346,000 balance on a 30 year fixed interest mortgage at 4.125%. So, since you own half the house, I'm assuming half of that is your mortgage. That's correct. Yeah. There's no other debt. So, yay, off to a great start. Uh, and 26, that's a really, really, really great start. Okay. Monthly expenses total approximately $3,000. I really don't see anything in these monthly expenses that stand out. You've got $1,100 in housing, $200 in utilities. The food is something that I would like you to reconsider. I've got $1,000 for food, which is approximately a third of your budget. Uh, health and wellness, 100 Car insurance, 90 Gas, 125 Travel, 100 Gifts, 100 Amazon, 50 Gym, 50 Clothing, 50 Again, nothing really crazy. Maybe you're eating organic or something super healthy. Well, so, we found out so, at the beginning of the show that um, Parker Bench is 225 pounds, so he probably needs a lot of extra food to maintain that. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking he's yeah. eating protein. Yeah, food's my big thing. I mean, I eat a lot. I work out a lot. Um, that includes Costco, so maybe some that includes some like, you know. Uh, toiletries and stuff like that as well. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I figured you were going to point it out. <laughs> Moving right along to your investment accounts, we have a mostly pre-tax 401k of $28,000. That's great for being 26 years old. $12,000 in a Roth IRA, $2,400 in an HSA, $19 in cash, $10 in house equity, 1000 in alternative investments of crypto and silver and 5000 in truck equity which we will talk about later. So, can you give us a very brief overview of your money story, Parker? Yeah, let's do it. So, I grew up in kind of like a mixed uh financial household, so my parents were solidly middle class and my grandparents were uh somewhat better off, so you know, I was really fortunate to be able to graduate uh, completely debt-free, paid for by my grandparents. Um, but I also kind of got to see uh, how my parents struggled with money at the same time. And I didn't want to make the same, uh, you know, financial mistakes they did. So, you know, when I went to college and knew that it was going to be uh, paid for, I knew I wanted to kind of, you know, set myself up for success, knowing that, you know, once I got out of college, it wasn't you know, uh, you're going to rely on family money or whatever. You kind of have to set yourself up uh, for your own success and be able to support yourself. So um, I've always kind of been interested in uh, finance and I studied business. So yeah, that's, that, that's the main part. And then, yeah, I guess I've always been really independent. So I don't like the idea of having to rely on uh, other people. So being able to, I guess, financially support myself and set myself up for success is uh, important to me. So Awesome. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your career and how that's progressed over the last couple of years? Yeah. So I work as a financial analyst, make about 70, 75 K a year, um, start off in accounting. So I graduated in 2019 with a degree in international business and finance and moved to Boston, uh, you know, going into the office, everything like that. And then COVID happened, went fully remote, 
was kind of like, what, why am I paying all this rent in Boston? I was paying like $1,500 a month for rent. Um, everything was closed. Couldn't really do anything. Um, that, that allowed me to save a lot of money, but I wasn't very happy. So I was living with my buddy there from college. We were like, let's go check out you know, Tampa for a weekend. Came down and really liked it. And we ended up moving here uh, about a year and a half ago in 2021. You know, rented for a year and ended up doing a house act together, which I haven't, I don't think I've heard anybody on the podcast who's bought a property with a friend. Um, I think it's kind of a unique, unique thing. Uh, people think we might be like in a relationship or it's like a different thing, but no, we're just friends from college uh, who bought a property together. So I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Um, you know, we have different strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I'm kind of the numbers guy, the design guy, and he's an engineer. So he's great at fixing stuff up. So um, it actually works really well. Oh, Okay, I'm going to highlight this for a second. If you have money and maybe not super awesome at fixing things, finding somebody else to partner with who has money is not the best choice. It's, I mean, it's good that you've got two financial powerhouses that are putting money into a problem and there's no problem in real estate that is too big that you can't solve it by throwing enough money at it. However, that's not what we are here for at The Money Show. Uh, so partnering with somebody whose strengths are your not strengths, I hate the word weaknesses, but whose strengths uh, cover what yours do not is a great way to partner. I think that's an awesome partnership. Uh, we don't see a lot of friends getting together and buying a house together because uh, there can be some issues that happen. Like you're all friendly when you start off, but then something happens and you want to do it one way and he wants to do it the other way. And then the friendship can kind of fracture, but you're still stuck together with this legal document that is called home ownership. So um, did you guys go into a partnership agreement? Did you write out everything in advance? We don't have anything like we didn't get a lawyer and write everything down, basically, but we basically came to an agreement uh, verbally, I guess, which I, I know is not the best thing. We should probably get something in writing, but um but we have an understanding of, you know, when we're going to move out, what are we going to do with the property? Um, we kind of veto each other on decisions, stuff like that. I mean, this this isn't, you know, a guy I've been living with like a year. We've been living together since my sophomore year in college. It's been about six years. So um, he's a good friend. He's as financially uh, stable or even more so than I am. Uh, so we both feel very comfortable in being able to make the mortgage payments and, we both kind of have a similar vision for the property. I, I think this is perfect. I've, I've, I've done something very similar to this um, in my past, and I think it's great. Uh, at some point, you should put it in writing and say, and, and you, you'll approach your friend with saying, here's how, you know, we're not, we're not going to have a problem here, right? You've known this guy for a long time. Sounds really reasonable. But, um, you know, one day you are going to get married. And I don't, even, I don't even know this person. You're not even dating this, that, them yet. Um, yeah. So, and if you were to pass away, I might be dealing with that person. They might be terrible. So, or, or use yourself as a reverse, right? Um, with that, or, or, uh, if you, if you, if, if you already have uh, significant others and you say, I'll have a kid and that kid will be a pain in the rear, um, that you're gonna have to deal with when this thing is over. So we're not negotiating against each other. We're negotiating against these future people in our estate and we want to get those things buttoned up and a very simple tool. You don't have to spend a lot of money on this. A very simple tool that I, that I think is very powerful is this kind of shotgun clause in the, in the, um, um, agreement. Cause really if things get bad, you want to exit the deal, right? There's a whole bunch of other things you can and should cover in the agreement who has final say, or, but uh, a shotgun clause, if you're not familiar with it, essentially says, if you want to exit the deal, you say, I'd like to buy you out at this price. And they have one opportunity to say yes or no, I'm going to buy you out at that price. Um, they can reject and, 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 uh, the other way, very simple and effective tool for, for dissolving partnerships like that in this situation. That's a great idea. I, li I like that. Yeah. It probably cost you 500 bucks to get an attorney to draw something up like that. And, uh, it'll just be there. So Parker, what is your greatest money pain point and how can Scott and I best help you today? I, I think it's really figuring this house out, um, trying to treat it more as an investment, uh, as opposed to like a forever home, because it's definitely not a forever home. Um, like, you know, I get, we could put a hundred thousand dollars into this house if we wanted to. Right. But like, that wouldn't really make financial sense in terms of a rental property. Um, at the end of the day, it's, you know, a two bed, one bath, a thousand square foot main house and a, you know, 380 square foot mother-in-law suite. So you, 
you know, you could put a million dollars into it at the end of the day. It's, it's not going to rent for more than 2,500 uh, a month. Right. Um, as it stands right now, I'll probably rent for about, you know, 2000 to 2200 um in the main house and then the mother-in-law suite we did a full renovation on so it'd be probably more like 1200 um so i you know there's more that needs to be done the roof is going to be have to be replaced because it's 18 years old and i live in florida and there's this whole homeowners insurance crisis going on uh and they won't insure the house um within the next year or two unless we get the roof replaced as far as I know. Um, so that's a big expense. The AC, the HVAC might need to be replaced in the next couple of years as well. So that's maybe 20 grand right there. Um, and then the rest of the house, you know, it's like, it's all been kind of renovated within the past 15 to 20 years. So it's like, it's not bad, but it's just like things kind of need to be updated. So I guess my main question is like, how do you view like putting in improvements into a house hack, I guess, because I think the main goal of this property is to, to, to live here for two years. So then if we sell it within the next five years, we'd get uh, not as pay income tax on that gain. Be careful with that assumption because if part of it is a rental, so let's suppose hypothetically that uh, the property, is the property purchased in both your names or, or just one? It's in, it's in both our names, yeah. Okay, and is any part of the property a rental without you living in it? So right now we're living in it and we're renting out the in-law suite. Okay. That portion, so this is the, this is the pain in the rear. From a tax perspective, uh, the portion that you live in is not, you can't depreciate and is your yeah. primary residence. And the portion that you rent does depreciate and is not your primary residence. So filing your taxes on a house tax is a real pain and is even more complicated than filing taxes on a true rental property or someone with the primary residence, even if it's a bigger property with that. Yet the house hacker by definition is always a frugal, you know what? Uh, uh, and so they're not going to spend hundreds of dollars on tax preparation for the most part each year. So you'll have a DIY. If, if you fit that mold, you'll have a DIY uh, tax project to learn at and think about when that comes up. But I'd encourage you to, to think of it more like a rental and less like a primary. Uh, well, uh, it depends. If you're living in the big part of the house, then it's more like a primary than it is a rental. Okay. I mean, what do you guys see is like the highest ROI in terms of like sprucing a place up? Kitchen number one, hands down, but also the roof because you live in Florida where they have hurricanes. So yeah. <laughs> the roof doesn't change your rent, right? No, the roof doesn't change. That's a pro that's a thing. Like I, I think it might've been replaced without a permit in the past because it doesn't look 18 years old. But, uh, you know, we have state subsidized insurance because that's the only in Florida, that's the only insurer that would insure the house, you know, citizens. I don't know if you're aware. So, you know, the appraiser said it had three to four years of useful life left, which was lucky because, you know, they, they won't insure if it's one to two years useful life left. The way you win with the roof is if you sit on it for as long as possible uh, yeah. and do nothing to it and then replace <laughs> it at the last possible minute um, yeah. without yeah. having an emergency forced upon you. So, you know, that, that's the, that's the game. I think that you have to play as a real estate investor is time. Is how do you time that perfectly? I don't know if you can, but, um, so that roof is going to add no value to the, to the property other than exactly. Yeah. I mean, it may, well, it may yeah. then you can insure it. You have, once you get to that point, you have to. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's run through the numbers on this property. Yeah. We purchased it for 375. It appraised at 367. So we had to pay an appraisal gap of 8,000, but they gave us 9,000 at closing. So it basically evened out. Um, <laughs> I mean, they gave us that money because there was a lot of issues uh, with the house, which we can go into. Um, but we put 5% down, so only two and a half percent each. So, um, you know, out of pocket, it was like 15 K each at closing. Um, and then we've put in an additional $30,000 into renovations so far. So another 15,000 each, um, you know, total mortgage payments, 2,200, which is 1100 each. And then we rent out the in-law suite for 950 a month, utilities included to a friend of ours. Um, so total out-of-pocket cost, about $630 a month uh, for living expenses with utilities, add another 200 each, uh, about $830 a month is my current uh, you know, living expense right now, which is pretty crazy when you, know, you can't really find a one bedroom in Tampa 
under 1500 or 2000. So <laughs> it's pretty awesome. What, what, it, what would the property rent for if you moved it? fast forward a year or two? Um, it's all stabilized. What, what do you think the, ca- run me through the cash flow analysis. You give me some of those numbers, but what do you think would you, you'd net from a cash flow perspective? Yeah. So the in-law suite, we're, I don't know. It's, it's tough to, to value an in-law suite because, you know, the laundry room is disconnected from the house. So I guess there'd be shared laundry between the main house and the in-law suite. I mean, that's how we do it now. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of these in Tampa, a lot of multi-generational households and stuff. And I've seen them like similar ones go for as much as 1400 But, um, you know, conservatively, I'd say 1100 to 1200 on the in-law suite. And then the main house, 2000 to 2200 as it sits uh, right now. So you know, maybe 3,200 for both and our mortgage payments, 2,200. So, and what, what, walk me through what you would estimate for vacancy, CapEx and repairs, property management, those types of things. Uh, our plan is to stay in Tampa. So we'd manage the property ourselves, at least in, for the time being, um, you know, 5% for vacancy. It's a pretty hot area. Maintenance and repairs. I mean, I don't, I mean, we've put a lot into it already. So I, I like, I don't know how you budget that on a, you know, 5% annual basis or, or something like that, but I haven't really thought about that as much. Okay. So we got $150 a month in vacancy. We got $150 a month in maintenance and CapEx on the, on the low end, um, with those. And, and, and then, uh, I assume that tenants would pay utilities. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a comment. I want you to bump up your vacancy to 8% because one month is 8%, not 5%. Okay. Sounds good. And if you're, if you can get it rented faster, that's great. Then you just have extra built in. But if you, if it takes longer to get it rented, then your numbers are all out of whack. CapEx is something that I like to personalize for each property based on the actual age of the things in the property. Like your roof needs to be replaced in the next couple of years. A roof, I don't know what it is in Florida, but where I'm at, a roof is ten to $15,000. So over the, and it lasts 25 years. So over the course of 25 years, you should be saving up 10 or $15,000. And that's just a couple of hundred dollars a month. But if your roof is 20 years old and you need to replace it in five years, you now need to save up $10,000 in five years. So that's $2,000 a month. Or you need to save up 10 to $15,000 in one year to replace it. So that's a whole lot more. Um, did you get any sort of concessions for the roof? I mean, just the, the 9,000 they gave us at closing just covered everything. Okay. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, you bought it in April of 2022, which was the hottest market that the real estate, uh, scene yeah. has ever seen in it the history tough. of the world. <laughs> it was tough. So, uh, that's why somebody's like, Oh, why did you pay more than it appraised for? Cause that's what you did in April of 2022. That's just how it went. Um, so with CapEx, you've also got your furnace. You said the HVAC will need to be replaced soon. Um, I don't know how much an AC is there. I think it's like eight to $12,000 where I'm at. You have time to start getting quotes and start asking people, who do you use? Who's reliable? Start getting quotes and find somebody. Don't wait for the next hurricane to come through because then it's impossible to find anybody to work on your house. I don't know where you are. For, oh, when was the last time there was a hurricane in Tampa? It's been a while, hasn't it? hundred years. Yeah. But <laughs> okay. Well, then you're due. So Not we're due yeah. quotes now. Um, but yeah, you don't want to wait until, oh, I'm going to do it in June. And then the end of May, something comes through and now you can't get a new roof. And then you don't have homeowner's insurance. And then there's that, a lot. That's, of- my, that's also my concern with citizens, which you know, their, their customer base is doubling every year because of the homeowner's insurance crisis. If there was a hurricane, even if it was in Miami, you know, putting in a claim could take years and could be a big financial risk. That's my other concern in terms of getting the roof replaced and maybe going through a private insurer. But I don't know if it's worth paying double compared to state, a state subsidized policy, but I, I think, I think these numbers should make you a little uncomfortable, make everyone uncomfortable. Right. But with, with this, so, but, but I think, um, in your case, a good exercise would be to go through and do the work of customizing your CapEx allocation and saying, I think my roof's going to last me three more years. Well, give it, give it a guess. That's your best one. Okay, great. That's $10,000 over three years. That's what? $3,300 a, a year that I need to save. That's 400 bucks. Am I doing that right? A month? Let's call it 400 a month. Yeah. 400 a month. I need, I need to save. Then on top of that, I'm going to need to replace the AC. That's going to be five grand making that up. Right. I'm going to, that's going to be in five years. So that's 1000 a year, about a hundred dollars, 80 bucks a month. And you add those up 
right? One by one. And if there are any other things around the property, the kitchen, you know, maybe the kitchen's fine and you're good to go for 15 more years before you need to really update that. Um, okay. And that'll be 10 grand. So 10 grand divided by 15 years divided by 12, right. Or whatever it is. Right. So, so yeah, uh, I don't know how bad his kitchen is. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I don't know. But like, if you do that exercise, you can stare at a number and say, okay, that's really what my, my cash flow is going to look like in this particular property over the next 10 years, um, or five years. And that will help you make decisions based on that. So my, my belief is that once you do those numbers, and I would encourage you to keep property management in here, you've got a okay property. It might, might break even a little bit. And if it's in a good spot and you hold on to it for a long time, it might appreciate, but this is not going to be a cash cow property once you move out. Um, even when you do move it to market rents. So something to noodle on there. And, uh, that may, that may be exactly what you want. That's fine. It's a great way to build wealth, or it may be not what you want. You want to sell it and see if you can, uh, harvest, harvest some gains. If you can add value to the property. Yeah. I think the goal is to, to keep it, um, as a rental. I mean, Tampa rents are growing like 20% year over year. So those numbers could even be outdated, but yeah, it is an old house. It, it, I do have to budget more in maintenance than probably the average house. Um, it's a 1950s house. So another thing I wanted to ask was like, when we move out, should we transfer it into an LLC or just, is that even possible? Or is that something I should just ask my lender about? I was going to say your lender is probably going to tell you not to do this because if you transfer the ownership out of your own name, which is where the mortgage is currently in, uh, this is, this will trigger a do on sale clause where all of a sudden the lender will say, okay, now you owe us the entire remainder of the, the balance of the mortgage. So they make you refinance basically. They, you will lose all of your, it could, it could. So this is a huge debate. We're going to, we'll get into this for a good five minutes here. This is a great one. Yeah. <laughs> it's military appreciation month. So I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Go ahead, Bindi. Yeah. My lender that I go to all the time said when rates were 2% and you could refinance at 2%, nobody really cared. Lenders were like, look, if the payments are continuing to be made, we're not going to make a big deal of it. But now that you have a 4% mortgage and rates are like, for an investor, rates are like 9%, 7%, 8%, they might make you refinance. They're losing money on their 4% mortgages. They're losing money on their 2% mortgages. So if they can get you to refinance, they will. I, I think that there's a lot of people who, they, they, you, we're, we're asking about a major policy change here. So for, first of all, the answer is, the question is, can I put it into an LLC? The answer is, yes, you can put it into an LLC. The question is, what are the pros and cons of doing that, right? Um, the pros are potentially some some protection once you've moved out of the property from legal liability, Okay. If you self-manage the property, guess what? They can still go after you um, for, for those types of things. And you're really, in my opinion, and I'm not a lawyer, you should ask a lawyer about this, but in my opinion, you're for you're like it's kind of like why the heck would you do why would you heck would you self-manage the property and put it in an LLC when you're exposing yourself to the risk of this um of this due on sale clause that Mindy just pointed out uh, in order to do that, right? Second, if I'm gonna protect the, the property by putting it in an LLC and going to the trouble of setting up an LLC, running the LLC, filing taxes for the LLC, all those different types of things. I need to be protecting something that's worth protecting, right? And you guys have maybe 30K in equity in this property, right? And if you sold it, how much, you know, you probably have transaction costs. You probably have very close to zero equity in the property right now. So am I really gonna go all this trouble to protect nothing, right, is another question. Um, that I'd ask here. So obviously I have a strong opinion, but I'm not allowed to go all the way there because uh, uh, it's a legal topic with this, right? Okay, next up is the due on sale clause. I actually think that the due on sale risk is not that large because most of these lenders do not, um, they, 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 don't, they don't keep the loan on their balance sheet. They sell it to a large institution like JP Morgan or, you know, one of these big, one of these big banks, Wells Fargo, whatever that that's going to, that's going to service the loan. And they can always sell the loan again to Fannie Mae, well, government, a uh, 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 government backed corporation, right? So I, I don't understand why a performing note would ever get called due. The due on sale clause is an option, not an obligation of the lender to call the note due and force you to refinance. It is possible. It could happen. It hasn't. It hasn't really been a factor in the last twenty years for any investors. I don't know. I don't know a single person who has had a note called um, f for this. And I'm not. And I'm not anticipating it. But if you're, if you know, you, if you move all the properties to LLC, you might get some protection, peace of mind on the uh, um, liability side if you set everything up right and hire a property manager. Uh, but you might assume this keep you up at night risk of the lender call the note due. So I don't think there's a good answer to this question. And I think if you post this to the bigger pockets forums, you're going to find people with very strong opinions either way on this based on what they've done. Um, for example, you should probably, probably should post it to there and see what people say. But my, my guess is that I, I would keep, maybe keep it 
in your names um, for for a while here and, and consider shifting it over if and when you have a much lower debt to equity balance and um, uh, have something worth protecting here and are maybe not self-managing. I would say if you are going to do the LLC for protection purposes, get an umbrella policy instead. This is an over, uh, it's an umbrella that covers all of your assets and interests so that you don't, uh, you're not going to be sued. Your insurance company has more money than you do. So they're going to cover you. I'm doing a terrible job uh, explaining what an umbrella policy is. Let's look that up on Google so I can actually say what is umbrella policy. Uh, An umbrella insurance is extra insurance that provides protection beyond existing limits and coverages of other policies. Umbrella insurance can provide coverage for injuries, property damage, certain lawsuits, and personal liability situations. So something that I just discovered is I requoted my homeowners and car insurance policies and got an umbrella coverage for all of this for less than what I was paying for a lower amount of car insurance and a lower amount of homeowners insurance. Um, it can be, it's it's not that expensive to get a very simple umbrella policy. And that I think is a better choice than going into an LLC and potentially losing your 4% interest rate just to save some liability. That makes sense. Also, I would not put the property into an LLC. I mean, you know, we, we can talk about lawyers about this one, but I, 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 I would not put the property into an LLC while you live in it. Like you want protection, you living in the property. How, how can it not, how is that, how is there going to be a corporate veil there? If you're, if you're an inhabitant of the property, I'm not going to sue myself, you know? <laughs> uh, okay. I have a couple of other questions about your property. Yeah. How did you take title with your friend? Did you take it as joint tenants or did you take it as tenants in common? I think whichever one, like if one of us dies, like the uh, equity goes to my beneficiary, not the other person. These tenants in common. That's tenants in common. Okay, that's good. That's good because that makes it easier for you to to separate yourselves. If you decide, hey, I don't want to live here anymore. He's like, oh, I would really like to live here. And you're like, hey, why don't I just sell my half to somebody else if he can't afford to buy you out or he doesn't want to buy you out? Um, that makes it a lot easier to do so. If you are considering buying in a partnership, talk to your attorney, talk to your real estate agent about the different types of ways to take title. And one last question is, why do you rent your mother-in-law suite out for less than it could be rented for? We're helping out a friend. So that's a main thing. And then, you know, he allowed us to continue doing renovations, you know, while he was basically living in it. So it's a very kind of flexible situation where if we need to enter the uh, property and fix something or, you know, do anything like that, you know, it's also less liability because he's our friend. We know he's not, he's, he's going to pay on time and he's reliable. I am so glad that this friend is paying on time. However, lots of friendships have been broken yeah. up <laughs> over this. So I will say, because I am older than you are, I will say that, uh, you, I hope you have a lease and if you don't, you need to get one. And is there an end date for him living there? Because you are essentially subsidizing his rent by $250 a month, every month that he lives there, which is very generous. Um, and you know, him allowing you to do work on the house, And while he's still paying you rent, allows you to collect some money while you're fixing it up. But eventually that has to end. He's listening to the show now. He's like, Mindy, shut up. (laughs) It's, it's, It's a month to month lease. Okay. So just, I would have a conversation with your co-owner and say, you know, how long do we want to let Bob Jones live in the, uh, the mother-in-law suite before telling him we're going to raise the rent to 1200, which is the going rate. Would you like to continue to live here or would you like to find a new place? I have a question about that in terms of like, you know, the, the backyard is, is pretty much shared and you know, the entranceway to the in-law suite, you basically have to walk past the whole house. So like, how would you structure that in a lease, like where the laundry area is shared and like the backyard is pretty much shared? Would you, would you, you know, put up a fence to kind of make a private area for the in-law suite? Or um, would you write in a lease that the laundry room shared between, you know, buildings or something like that? I think I'd write it in the lease that the laundry room is shared. And I would not, I would, I would just say that there's common area um, in there and I'd make it clear who is responsible for common area maintenance. 
So for example, in, in, in some of my properties, like a duplex, I'll just say unit A is responsible for shoveling the sidewalk and maintaining the front lawn, right? Uh, and that's just part of the deal with living in unit A. Um, unit B does not have to worry about it or whatever. Yeah, definitely be specific. When there is an opportunity for confusion, the tenants will take that opportunity to be confused. Uh, so if the, now describe again, the laundry situation, is it a, like, can you close off the laundry room? Yeah. It's just, it's just like, it's like a, it's like an outdoor closet almost. <laughs> okay. So, so the, the, the tenant in the mother-in-law suite wouldn't necessarily be bothering the other tenants. I would absolutely post, um, specific laundry hours. You can't do laundry at two o'clock in the morning. Um, laundry can't be done after eight o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever, uh, because that could disturb the tenants in unit a and, uh, the, the laundry is common area and the yard is common area. And if somebody is going to be responsible for mowing the lawn, that's great. And if they're not responsible, then they have to pay for lawn service. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. Well, I, I, you know, from 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 the, the the property standpoint, I think you have a decision to make about whether you want to sell it or keep it after a couple of years. You will have tax complications, um, advantages relative to, to other folks uh, when when you make that decision. But um, yeah, you've got you've got a you've got a property that is clearly not going to lose that is likely not to lose money for you over the next couple of years, but is also you need rents to go up for it to for it to continue to produce a good cash flow. So I have another question, if that's all right. Um, so you know, right now I'm basically paying eight hundred dollars a month uh, to live. You know, if you if you subtract the equity towards the house, my my you know the cost of my net worth is like six hundred bucks a month, including utilities. Um, so like, you know, if we want to move out of this place, you know, it's it's fine right now, but you know, I'm 26. I don't know. I might, I might want to live alone at some point in my life. You know, how do you justify going from, you know, paying $800 a month to, you know, living alone and paying, you know, $1,500 a month or more? Like, I don't even know if that makes sense. Right. So like, is it, I need to grow my income by a certain amount or is it, I need to just buy another property or sell this property? Cause I think the goal is to turn this into a rental. But then it's like, where do I live, right? Because I don't, I don't have the capital to buy another property. So does it make sense to turn this into a rental just to turn around and pay rent to somebody else? I, I think it's a philosophical question, one around your values, right? So what I did is I house hacked in, you know, dumpy duplexes for seven years, right? I came on the other side of that with a lar with a moderately sized real estate portfolio, lots of savings, more cash invested in stocks and a a position of, of uh, at least a baseline for sure, well beyond that level of financial independence around the age of 30, right? Um, I just went to New York City uh, the, the last weekend, uh, had a blast, visited a friend, right? To rent like a one-bedroom in an okay part of town is, is $4,500 or $5,000 a month. It's an incomprehensible amount of money to me. But you live in New York City. You have all these different fun things you can do. There's, it's, it's a blast. There's tons of things to, there, there's, 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 whatever you want to do is there, right? It's a life choice. What, what, what do you, what, what, you know, what do you want? Is that, is that worth, you know, not pursuing financial independence for ten years and and going and having a ball in this city and then figuring out in ten years? For lots of people, the answer is yes. For you, it might be yes. So, um, you, you can't have it all. You, you probably can't go there and buy five, pro come out, you know, with five properties in, in, in the next seven to 10 years, uh, and do that, but you can, you can do that. And so I don't know if, I don't know if there's a right answer to your question. Is that even a helpful re initial response in framing that? Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. Um, I think it's more so like, we know we don't want to be here forever just cause it's, you know, two guys and sharing a bathroom, hundred thousand square foot house. Obviously, like you said, house hacking takes, you have to take on some amount of, uh, you know, risk and discomfort and everything like that. Uh, I think the main thing is like, I want to have a plan one to two years from now. I'm like what I'm going to do. Um, you know, I think the plan, like I said, is to turn it into a rental. So I guess I'm trying to mentally justify like, okay, my out of pocket living expenses could go from 800 to $1,500 a month. You know, if I go that route. Um, so I guess in that sense, it's just part of like, you know, budgeting for that expense to come, I guess, or trying to grow my income to match that uh, housing increase. Yeah. Well, let's look at your 
income and expenses, you have $4,200 a month salary and you spend $3,000 a month. Where does that $1,200 a month go? Right now, it's just going to cash. I'm about to max out my Roth. So my cash is going to go down to about 13K. Um, So, you know, that's my other thing. Like, am I over contributing to retirement? I feel like that's kind of hindering my cash flow. Like I've, maybe if I want to buy another property or do other invest in other side hustles, I'm not really uh, keeping that much cash after contributing to uh, retirement. You know, I contribute 12%, uh, 8% pre-tax, 4% Roth, and I'm maxing out my Roth and I'm also maxing out my HSA this year. So that's about, you know, 19,000 towards retirement. And then I'm only cash flowing about 12,000 a year plus my side hustles, maybe a little bit more. Um, so, I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? If I want to, what does invest in side hustles mean? What, what side hustle do you have? Um, right now I'm not really doing much. I, we used to be really into like, uh, flipping furniture and stuff like that. That's basically how I was able to afford the down payment on, uh, on the house. Um, I have some other side hustles, but in terms of like investing, like, yeah, like buying another property or buying another income producing asset would be my goal, I guess. Okay. So, so let's, let's zoom out even further here. I I think, I think there's a fundamental question of like, what what do you want in, in, in one year, three year, five years, seven years, right? Like what, what is, what is that trajectory? If you came if you said, I want to have five cash flowing properties and be reasonably, reasonably set up there. And I'm willing to sacrifice most other things to get to that point, we'd say, okay, continue house hacking, maybe even move into the mother-in-law suite <laughs> um, or whatever yeah. with that. Um, fig- figure that out. Keep your expenses ridiculously low. S- grind and side hustle. Let's talk about this job, all that other kind of stuff. If you're saying, you know, I'd like to have one, maybe two more properties um, over, over that time period and live a really nice life in the meantime, Okay, now we've got a different, you know, a, a different thing there. The goal is not to be retired in five years, if that's the case, and we can do that. So, I guess, what w- what's your hunch there? What do you what do you want? Yeah, I think I'd like to buy another property. I just, um, I don't think I will have enough cash to do that before I move out of this property, right? So, there's probably going to be some type of place to rent while I transition. But yeah, I think I want to buy another property. So, you want to house hack another property as soon as possible. As soon as, yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot of what ifs with the, the economy and interest rates and everything like that. But I think I'd like to buy another property maybe, you know, two to three years from now. Well, you, you could buy another property next year if you stop the contributions to a lot of these things. You have $19,000 in cash, right? We save five by not contributing to the Roth. And we have another 12 by the end of the year um, in order to do that. And, and guess what? I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. If you, if you think a house hack has a good ROI, I did that. I did not contribute to a Roth and instead purchased a house hack because yeah. it's a better it's a better return in many cases. Now, not always. You're, there's always market risks and those types of things, but on average, in a three percent inflationary environment, um, you know, with, with, and uh, you're advertising alone, you're 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 spending less to live. The house hack's all, almost always going to be better than um, one of these one of these retirement account contributions if you buy reasonably well. So that would be, that'd be one, one place to think about it. If that's really your goal, you got 30 years to max out those retirement accounts, maybe 40, you that's have true. only five, five more years to house hack, uh, quite as reasonably. Mindy's not liking this. I am not liking this. I am biting my tongue while you say this. Yeah. Um, but, th- but then it's me saying like the money I contribute now is going to be worth the most when I retire. Cause I'm, I'm never going to be younger. Right. Um, especially the Roth and HSA, uh, contributions. The mad scientist says the HSA is the best retirement account on the planet in the whole world in the universe, yada, yada. That's a direct quote. So I would say continue to contribute to the HSA because I love it so much. Um, it has a, it has a lower limit too, like 3,500 or something for you because you're single. Yeah. 36 something. I would love to see you continue to contribute to the Roth IRA, but if you choose to buy a house, that's fine too. I will give you some homework assignments. I would like you to look at what other remote job opportunities pay. So perhaps you could 
find a new job that pays a lot more that allows you to continue to save for your retirement and save for a house hack at the same time. I would like to know how much time you were spending on your uh, couch flipping side hustle. Was this just seriously pick up a couch and then list it and give it to somebody else? Or were you doing work to fix up the couches? A little bit of both. It really depends. Um, yeah, that's why I bought the truck I own. Um, because when I when we moved here, I bought the truck for $3,500. Put some money to it. It's probably worth five grand now. Um, so, you know, when we were renting a house, we would just buy a couch, stage it, maybe clean it up, relist it, offer delivery on the couch. Um, so I think between September 2021 and May 2022, we made $36,000 after- $36,000? <laughs> yeah. So we split. That's a job. That's a whole job. And this was yeah. like part-time work. Yeah, Okay. Much. Research opportunity. Get back on Craigslist yeah. and Facebook Marketplace and start finding these couches. And if it needs a lot of work, skip it. But if it doesn't need a lot of work, you're just picking it up, storing it in your garage while you wait for somebody to come buy it. Do that. That's my new favorite thing. We should have talked about this the whole time. $36,000? Yeah. Well, Good God. 18... 18,000 each so over nine months, like probably we were probably each clearing 2k a month after expenses in profit. Um, Why did it stop? So your next, your next property needs to have a big garage. It was kind of the COVID craze with furniture, furniture being hard to find. It's kind of, I don't know if I could continue making that. Um, and you know, the house is taking up more time as well, but yeah, it's been a great side hustle. Do you make $36,000 on your house right now? No, you don't. So there you go. Flip couches. I, I agree with that. I think that income is a major factor here. You're you're early in your career. Financial analyst is a great way to start your career. Um, I'm biased. That's how I, that was my career. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's fantastic. A lot of options open up to you after that because you understand financial. Your financial, you literate with financial statements. You know what what good looks like. You can tell what's what's going bad. You can make basic economic analysis. It's a really good training ground for a lot of things. So you have a lot of a lot of options there. Um, it's a slower career path if you stick with it for 15 years, right? I, I think yeah. there, are, there are other options. So I would encourage you to think about jumping around in the next couple of years. And I think uh, this side hustle is really exciting. Um, you know, run, run your numbers, do, do your spreadsheet on that one um, as well. And then do your spreadsheet on your house hack. Last spreadsheet you should run is on Roth IRA, HSA, 401k, and compare them to a house hack under moderate conditions. Your ROI on the house hack, you put down five, 5% in any normal environment, you know, and who knows next year could be a bad year um, for real estate with, 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 I don't know with those things, it could be a bad year for stocks. It could, you know, but in any normal environment, the house hack ROI is going to be like 50 to a hundred percent with a low down payment on that. If you assume, if you're, if you're reasonably able to assume 3% appreciation on that. And so while I get that that first year of Roth is going to be worth the most in 30 years, the first year of the house hack is going to be worth the most in 30 years, right? I mean, this is a, this is a, uh, you know, I, that, that, uh, when I bought my, my first place for 240 in 2014, right now that place is worth 550, right? I, my Roth contribution in 2014 ain't worth 300 grand, right? whatever, you know, the, the proportionally as much as, uh, as that investment is, it's maybe doubled, um, in that time period. So I, I think it's, I think it's a really powerful tool there. And, and, uh, look, your, your, the reality of your situation right now is you have ways to make more money. You've got a good property, but you cannot have your cake and eat it too. You can't have spend $1,500 a month on rent and max out your Roth contribute to your 401k and your HSA and buy a property. You got to choose. And so, Use your skill set as a financial analyst and rationalize it based on the highest, the highest returns there. And I think I think there's no way you'll run those analyses and come out with another house hack as the the clear winner, unless you believe prices are going to go down substantially for for a prolonged period. Regardless of what I think, you can never. It's hard to predict, but um, yeah, I kind of have like this these differing opinions. Like my finance background has me thinking, oh, and I think that's what most people say. You should get your 401k to the match, then max out your Roth and go back to your 401k and completely max it. And then after that, go into a taxable brokerage or investing in real estate. But you know, if I did that, I'd have no cash left. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Run the analysis. 
Ask yourself, what do I believe? And then do the thing with the highest return that you believe. Do you have a match at your company? Yeah, uh, 4%. I'd have to contribute 8%. But right now I'm contributing 12 So I would contribute enough to get the entire match. Yeah, I, I am. I am. What do they say? That's free money? Yeah. So then you could pull back on that if you choose and take that extra 4% and put that into cash. Yeah. Or take that extra 4% and put that into your HSA and then stop the HSA and the Roth and just think about it. I agree with Mindy that you should take the match, but I do want to also just continue to push the seed of doubt in there that you are 26 years old. You've already started two or three different businesses at this point, some of which have been very lucrative and opportunistic, right? Getting cash in your bank account that you're willing to use to advance your position is going to be way more powerful for you than almost anybody else uh, around in, in different life, life positions, because you will use it um, to change that job, join the startup, start your own business, try the next rent, rental property investment, those types of things. And the ROI on that is going to be higher than the 10% that you're going to get on an annualized basis in, the, in an index fund in the stock market. Everything on top of that, that you don't need for, to pursue those opportunities, I think that's, that's uh, that you dump that in dump that into the the tax advantage retirement stack as far as you can go. But I, I have a heavy bias towards cash for folks like you in your situation that are learning lessons, working, living literally in their business, all that kind of good stuff. I mean, now's the time, right? I've got no dependents, no girlfriend, no <laughs> anything, right? I feel like that's that's the thing I like about real estate is I can have like an active role in creating my success, I guess. Not that contributing to retirement is not a good thing, but it's just kind of buying ETFs and just letting it sit there is, is doesn't really feel like I'm being as proactive towards being successful, I guess. I think 10 years down the road, Parker with $30,000 in cash is going to be way richer than Parker with $50,000 in cash in, in his, in his in investment accounts mm -hmm. um, and, and, and less in cash. That's hard to argue with. I can't compute that in a spreadsheet though, but, <laughs> but that, the, the, the math, the formula won't work out. So yeah. the, hopefully the argument well, at least makes you think about things. Parker, this was a lot of fun. And we, I'm really jealous of your $36,000 couch flipping side hustle. That should be a main job. That's not even a side hustle when it pays $36,000 a year. Uh, so yeah, get back into that. That's a really awesome. Even if you can only, only do half of that $18,000, there's your down payment. So I encourage you to start combing the ads again to find the property, the stuff that sold really, really well. Yeah. If you make that much money also, that's a good one to set up the LLC for. So you're asking about yep. LLCs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a great LLC and a self-directed solo 401k. And oh my goodness, so many fun things. Uh, okay. I really appreciate your time today, Parker. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys. Love the show. So great to be on. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was Parker, and I cannot believe he makes $36,000 flipping couches. I'm going to go buy a truck and flip couches too, Scott. Yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a great side hustle. And I think that, you know, well, we didn't really touch on this nearly enough. The, the, the big story here is how Parker sets himself up for income growth over the next couple of years. 26, financial analyst making $75,000 a year. World, world is oyster. He, he needs to go and figure out how he can apply that skill set to a variety of opportunities. He could either a continuation of his track in the, the finance world, um, taking on starting a new business, buying more real estate, expanding these side hustles. All those things are really the major lever in his financial position on a go forward basis. And I think that's exactly where he should be focusing his time. Yeah, I agree. I think he's got a lot of a lot of different opportunities and just what does he want what are his goals and how does he want to accomplish them yep and how many different ways does he want to make money i mean that that uh it seems like there's a lot of passive and semi passive ways that he can generate income yeah he's got a, he's got a lot of a lot of good options um just needs to fo focus in on them so yep all right scott should we get out of here Let's do it. And that wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. She is Mindy Jensen, and I am Scott Trench saying, give me a hug, Ladybug. It's 
It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. 